This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. You are listening to the Parent Footprint Podcast, where our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we firmly believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us adults to seek the same in our own life happiness, health, engagement, purpose, and meaning. And critically, we believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on your children. That is what we're about. And today's show is completely aligned with the mission Today's show is called The Emotionally Healthy Child with our guest Maureen Healy, and I want to tell you about Maureen. Maureen is an award-winning author, speaker, and leader in the field of children's emotional health. Her new book, which we're going to be talking about today, The Emotionally Healthy Child, gives adults the ideas and strategies they need to help their children. Also what we're going to be talking about, there's a a preface in the book by the Dalai Lama himself which blows me away. Maureen writes a popular blog for Psychology Today, which reaches millions of people worldwide. And in 2014, her first book, Growing Happy Kids, won the Nautilus and Reader's Favorite Book Awards. She has over 15 years of experience, counseled thousands of parents and children, worked with educators globally, taught in the classroom, given keynote talks throughout North America, Europe, and Asia. And she's also appeared all over the place at Seattle's New Day Northwest Morning Show, AOL's The Fatherhood Project with Hank Azaria, Forbes.com, and Scholastic Magazine as examples. She has a lot of educational credentials, including a BA and MBA from Clark University, an MA and a PhD in child clinical psychology at Fielding Graduate University in Santa Barbara. There's so much more to say about Maureen. I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. So... Where did this book come from? Well, that's a good question. Let's see. So I've been working with children for many years, as you mentioned. And increasingly, I just see kids come into my office emotionally reactive, which is normal to start that way. 
But without the ideas of how do emotions work and what I can do with them, you never really progress. So since I had those ideas in my mind and I was working with kids one-on-one, I just knew if I could get that information out more widely, it would be helpful not only for people at home, but for teachers in the classroom. And then everything just started moving. I know what goes into a book, you know, and it, there's a lot of information to capture in a particular voice to make an impact, and you've done that. Thank you. So the title of the book, of course, The Emotionally Healthy Child, and most of us parents would love to have that with our kids. <laughs> uh, how do you define what is an emo- emotionally healthy child? Again, another great question. Um, It is a complex subject, as we know. Emotional health is not a box we check. It's a lifelong endeavor. But I guess what I would say is the start of emotional health, the beginning point, is really to identify your emotions and learn how to express them constructively. So that's the starting point for children. And for children, there's more like an emotionally healthy mindset. It's learning to be to go from being reactive, like I mentioned, to more responsive, making careful, conscious choices. But the beginning point, which is where we all begin, is, you know, identifying your emotions when they're small, whether they're anger, sadness, jealousy, frustration, whatever they are. And then learning how to constructively versus destructively express them. So it's not the child who is suppressing their emotions, saying everything's okay today and things aren't okay. Or or the child that's using lots of digital devices or sugar to cover up their real feelings. I'm not saying they're extremely unhealthy, but that's just not a sign of emotional health. So it's learning how to sort of accept what is, even if what is feels like lemons and we maybe can turn it into lemonade or maybe we can't, but it's learning how to identify what's happening emotionally and then constructively express it as a starting. So what I get a lot from parents, and I'm sure you do too, is what age can you start to do this education and guiding and coaching with kids? I mean, I would say in utero, but I mean, <laughs> the, the, I mean, I think it, 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 the, the beautiful part about science is the magic of mirror neurons, right? So in, in, which says in the presence of someone else, we can learn something infinitely easier. So I think even before children have language, so even before their logic comes online around four, when it becomes easier to actually implement the ideas and tools in this book, they're, they are mimicking us. They're learning from our own uh, way of being in the world. So, of course, like you mentioned earlier, you know, the more we can consciously put into ourselves of how do I come? How do I not lose it? And we don't have to be perfect. There's no one here on this planet is perfect, but doing our best to be our best. And then when we make boo-boos, we repair that parent-child relationship. But I think from earlier than we even imagine, there's um, impressions made on the child that we can begin to help them calm and we can help themselves soothe. And then from four and up, when logic, or even three and up, depending on the child, but for most children, it's four and up you know, the logical part of their brain comes online. So that's when you're like, you know, that sometimes being with a toddler, you know, you can't really reason with them. But, you know, around preschool or when they get older, you can really say, hey, let's, let's, you know, let's take a deep breath or let's, you know, you can redirect them or you can make a list. I have a smart choices checklist in the book. You can begin to help them understand what to do with what they're experiencing. Yes, and and reiterate what you reiterated before then and even after 
our child is three or four, they're always looking and uh, modeling and mirroring after what we do. So if we yell and slam our hands on the table every time we're frustrated versus try to take deep breaths, and again, we are all human and are going to do this, it's just being mindful about what our kids, what we are modeling for our kids while they're absorbing everything, even in utero, as you point out. Right. And I would say also, you know, I think nowadays, my experience, more and more parents and teachers and professionals working with kids, you know, we're doing our best to be more mindful and conscious. So it does behoove us to look back at our own, how we were parented and say, okay, I would not perhaps use a wooden, you know, belt on my children, but what, what worked, what can I bring forward and what do I not bring forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you write about these three simple steps and I love the word simple. So everyone listening, you're going to hear about some three simple steps that have the power to change everything when it comes to your child's emotional health. So Maureen, what are those? Okay, so they're simple, but they're not always easy. I'll give you that one. Okay, that's <laughs> they remind fair. me of yeah, they remind me of like when I used to bicycle hundred miles a day. That was a simple idea, but not always easy, you know. <laughs> um, so let's see. So the concept is that you know if we can one learn how to stop and catch ourselves, two we can calm, teach our children how to calm, find their center. Three, we can make smarter choices. And by smarter choices, I mean something that's good for you and good for others. There's something for your child that's good for them and good for others. For example, I work with a child who was really angry in the classroom and he threw his notebook. You know, he was angry, so he threw his notebook and it hit another kid in the classroom. Well, it was good for the kid because he got anger relief not good for the other kid. So that was not a smart choice. So the ideas of learning how to catch ourselves and stop, because we all know when we're going in a direction, that's not a great direction, you know? So learning how to, you know, slow down and stop, then learning how to calm, because no terrific decisions typically are made, especially for children when they're really angry or sad or frustrated, you know? And then three, learning how to make that smart choice. So the process of doing that, how, so how does a parent start to do that with their child? And every child is different. So, um, you know, the idea is, you know, we have to look at the child that you have and what works for him or her. But learning how to stop and catch ourselves. I mean, what I find really helpful is, you know, any way that has learned awareness and slowing down, there is a tool in the book called the Smart Choices Checklist, which sort of prepaves the path. All right, you know, what are some smart choices when I'm frustrated or angry? Let's make them. Let's make a list of the things I can do at home and the things I can do at school. So beginning to help them understand that they have a choice in that moment, because often kids don't realize they have a choice. They're just knee-jerk reaction, angry, frustrated. But when they slow down and we have that discussion with them, perhaps after a situation and say, hey, could we have done that differently? You know, from an honest, authentic, connected way, not judgmental, but like, hey, could we have done that differently? Um, a child can look back and say, you know, maybe. And then you give them choices and options and we help them create awareness, as we, which is what you talked about in the beginning. We really need mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. them when they have awareness of not only what emotions are and how they work, they, they can do things differently. But if you don't have that awareness, you're going to do that you know, unconscious 
sort of knee-jerk reaction loop and you're not going to make progress. So it's helping them in a way that works for them and you create some awareness. So that's why I have the ideas and tools in the book because oftentimes we just need a starting point. Exactly, exactly. And then when you think about how our brain develops and you speak about the difference between our emotional brain and our logic brain um, and how decision-making comes into the four a lot of people are talking about this, which is what you highlight, is how do we help our kids, based on what we know about brain development, make good conscious choices? It's it's a great question. And it is true that, you know, when they're emotionally overwhelmed and flooded in their right brain and they're sort of what we would say emotionally hijacked, they really can't get to logic. So in the moment, it's not the moment. <laughs> you know, that's why is uh, you know, preventative work or helping them get educated on their emotions or afterwards, could we have done something different is really one of the ways to help them make better choices. But the idea is that you want to bring up the left side of the brain, the logic. You want to do things that help them recognize that it's great to feel, but also thinking. So you want them to be both feeling and thinking. So, you know, if they're angry because dinner's not ready yet, you know, you want to say, hey, it's ready in 15 minutes and give them something to do. You know, you want to help them recognize both left and right brain so that they can make the best choices. So again, Did I answer it's your bringing- question? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think what you're saying is a lot of this, and we're going to talk about how mindfulness is so much a part of this book. But mindful awareness is basically about we need to educate our kids about all of these things, like about choices, about how their brain works, about um, having the ability to do something differently the next time, how our emotions actually play on us. So a lot of times, I don't think we think about educating our kids about these things. We're, we're, we're educating them about look both ways before you cross the street, you know, don't chew with your mouth open. And these are huge lessons to teach them. Yeah, I would agree. And I, that's also why I have a section in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, where I talk about the seven ideas of how emotions work. So they, I, I organized it in a way so that it lands in a child's mind. Because obviously, if you have a talk with a child, sometimes they just hear blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, the, yep. we want to be yep. able to connect with them on a level where they get what we're saying, where they're ex- they have their ability to really have their own emotional ahas. They can see how they can do it differently and they stay connected to you versus disconnected. Like, oh, mom's mad at me again. That's not exactly what we want. We want them to say, hey, this behavior is not acceptable, but how can we work on this? And listen, I'm learning too. When we're in that spirit of learning together, I think things work really well. And in terms of this learning, you talk about how we need to help kids learn from their experiences, that these are critical parts of the life process and, and, and life education. Yeah, when we have a direct experience, we really learn, right? You know, we can always learn the hard way or the easy way, but it's helpful now that we have more adults that are aware and conscious and the information is out there that we we want children to avoid the unnecessary bumps in life. So we, you know, of course, there are challenges, but we want them to recognize they're bigger than those challenges and to have that experience of falling down and getting up or doing something differently or, you know, making that friend where they realize like, oh, I could do that. You know, you want them to do the things that will lead them toward positive emotional health. Mm-hmm. And another aspect of positive emotional health that you write about is this distinction between wholeness and happiness, which I think 
is really important. I've been you know, waiting to ask you this question because so many parents, myself included, were looking for, we just want our child, children to be happy. Well, I don't care where they go to school or go to college, or I just want them to be happy. So you have a slightly different take on this. I, well, I do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying it maybe differently. Of course, we all want our children to be happy. But happiness isn't grow, isn't always, you know, unicorns in life. It, it's, it's made from those challenging, gritty moments in life. So bigger than happiness is really wholeness. You want a child and an adult to be able to experience whatever they're experiencing. You know, if you have a flat tire, that's a bummer, right? If you have to put your, if your dog dies, that, that's really sad. I mean, it's not, you don't want to o- always be like every moment is happy and joyful. It's like, no, we want to experience whatever we're experiencing, and recognize that whatever we do, we ha- we ha- it has the power, even the most challenging moments. We can plant seeds to the next best moment. And, you know, learning how to experience all of life, all of life, you know, is really where the authentic, meaningful wholeness comes in, where we, you know, if someone's having a challenging day, a friend that says, hey, I'm here for you, that means so much, you know? And, and oftentimes when there's, whether it's family or society, where there's challenges, when someone's having a tough time, it forces us to look at our own emotions. And of course, we want to feel good and move towards positive stuff. But, you know, a really good friend and a really good emotionally healthy person is willing to be there when things are challenging and then be there when things are really incredibly wonderful and happy. And we want to help empower and educate and inspire our children that they can do the things and think the thoughts and take the actions that move them towards their healthiest and ultimately happiest life. Mm-hmm. So wholeness is just larger than happiness is, is really what you're saying. It's more encompassing. Yeah, I would say that wholeness is the healthiest place to be, knowing that when things, I would say wholeness is the healthiest place to be. And then within that, you know, there is happier experiences. And um, when you have wisdom and skill and how to sort of do, do have the thoughts and do the things that lead to your happiest life, you realize that you're empowered to do those things. Mm-hmm. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does that so make sense in term- in English? Oh, makes, <laughs> yes, that, well, that was English to me. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a okay, mad. Good. I have this visual. I have this visual to offer to other folks who are visual. It's like this encompassing, huge force field or umbrella. I mean, just this surrounding wholeness orb that allows us to deal with whatever life uh, brings to us. And as you said the happiness often comes out of those most difficult moments. So sometimes we get lost in the, we need to be happy all the time. And if we're not happy all the time, there's something wrong. And that's not really how it works. Right. And that's not accurate because this planet has challenges. It certainly does. Okay. So smart choice. I'm going, going back to your, your simple steps and 
the last step is the smarter choice. So tell us a little bit more about how we help kids make those smarter choices across their developmental lifespan. Sure, sure. Um, Well, I do love the idea of prepaving a path, meaning, you know, there's not a child alive that doesn't go to school and say, oh, my God, I was frustrated today about X, Y, Z. You know, even if they're in the best school, even if they created the school, there are just moments. So helping them learn how to deal with discomfort and how to deal with challenging emotions, I think oftentimes if we do like a smart choices checklist, say, okay, when you're you know, you're feeling a challenge, take a deep breath. What are the things that you can do? Can I, you know, walk around the classroom? Can I talk to the teacher? You know, helping them before they're experiencing those emotions say, okay, these are the things you can do. Maybe at home, I can jump on the trampoline for 15 minutes. I can read my favorite book. I can sit under the tree and pet the dog. You know, what are the things I can do when I'm feeling a big emotion to help me get back to center? Another way to think about smart choices are, you know, or how to think about all emotional health. How do I help my child reset when they're getting triggered? How do I help them come back to their center? Because when you're feeling calmer and more centered, you can make a smart choice. You can do something good for you and good for others. You may want to punch the kid on the playground, but you have enough sort of wherewithal or thoughts in your mind to say, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to tell the teacher. I'm going to go to the bathroom, flush water on my face. And you don't punch the kid because you realize that's going to, that's not a smart choice. That's not, that's not going to lead to something good. So you learn how to handle these frustrations and challenging feelings in a way that actually serve you better in the long term. And this is related to how do we help kids slow down in the midst of this situation. This is what you're describing, right? You want to punch a kid in the face. You want to scream at someone. uh, You want to tell a teacher what you really think. And it's trying to help them cultivate this space and this conscious awareness in the moment to change perhaps some former patterns of behavior or just think about a smarter choice. Right. And that's why it's a step three. You know, first is stop stop and catch ourselves. Second is to calm Right. And then when we're calmer, we can actually make that smarter choice that's good for you and good for others. And having that dialogue like, you know, hey, was that good? I mean, that may have been good for you, but was that good for me screaming in the house? Not good for me. <laughs> right, not, not, right. not good for me. Like, what else could we have done? You know, because I don't it's, there's you can't control a child's emotions. They're going to have big feelings. It's just what they do with them. You know, we want to help them yep. again, express them constructively, whether it's at home or the classroom. And so something I experience a lot in, um, in my office and consulting with kids is this developmental age, which varies for kids, when they actually start to care or be aware that it's not all about just discharging their feelings and moving on. And so don't you find that f- there is this challenging area where the children aren't ready to have that awareness yet? They're discharging and moving on the way some of us adults wish we could do <laughs> on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess from my perspective, I hear what you're saying. I guess from my perspective, I always think that like when you're having a challenging feeling, it doesn't feel good either. So you so, so you're in your even as a child, your enlightened self-interest is you want to feel better. But when you learn there's better ways to feel better, you're like, oh, OK, like, you, you, you know, it, it doesn't feel good when you push someone because, you know, that just 
doesn't feel good. So, yeah, I think my experience is that earlier and earlier children are becoming have the potential to become more self-aware. Might be that I work with a lot of gifted, sensitive children, but nonetheless, I, I really do feel that. Um, when children are exposed to these ideas to do things differently, they they want it. They want to feel better. I mean, you know, that's sort of in their nature. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're you're coming at it in a way that kids might be able to resonate with, in the sense that if you don't necessarily focus as much on, you're focusing on it doesn't feel good to be so upset. So let's find some strategies where you can feel better in those moments. Which is different than don't hit mommy. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because, you know, we want everyone wants to feel good and and we all make mistakes. And it's sort of like, you know, the path is how do we because when you feel better, you can do better. But when you don't feel good, it's not going to work out. You know what I mean? So so helping them feel better. it's, It's sort of like social and emotional learning in the classroom. When you handle the emotions first, kids can learn better. So when you handle the feelings first, they can actually do better at home or the classroom. So again, all of this has to do with awareness and increasing awareness, which we often refer to as mindfulness. So I want to th- slide this in here as we move towards you talking about this overall mindful approach. So the Dalai Lama wrote the intro to your book. How did that happen? I asked, but um, uh, <laughs> Whoa, uh, yeah. sometimes when you ask, miracles happen, right? So, yeah. I mean, I did study, study. I did live in 2007 at the base of the Himalayas and study with the Dalai Lama, with many, many other people. And uh, I and I worked with Tibetan refugee children when I lived over in India. And, and so I have a background um, in Eastern and Western psychology. So I, I have, I am trained in Buddhism, although the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child is mainstream, accessible for everyone, um, you know, I, I, it does have those nuggets of wisdom, which I think that is really what I would have loved as a child. How do emotions work? You know, the sooner we learn that, the sooner we can sort of progress and develop skills that serve us and others. So, so to answer your question, sort of, we have mutual connections and, and I asked. Nice. Nice. I uh, I don't think there is a book that he has been a part of that I haven't read, and so uh, there's just a lot of admiration and wisdom, and that it, it's it's infused in your book. And now hearing even more about your training, I just think it makes it even more meaningful. And the key thing that you said is, I mean, how to translate these wise principles into mainstream. Uh, I I I know how challenging that can be. So again, I want to commend you for making this accessible to so many. Thank you. Thank you. And again, this is what I would have wanted to know. I'm sort of selfish, right? right? It's sort of where I feel like part of us is always retraining our inner child. So it is it's because so the ideas are helpful. I guess one of the biggest feedback I got from the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, is like, forget my children. This is what I need, because it is the same ideas throughout our lives. Yes. And again, totally aligned with what we feel about a parent footprint is like if we focus on ourselves and our own awareness and what we want for ourselves and to live the li- a meaningful life, it flows for our kids if we think about what did we like that happened to us, what didn't we like, how do we want to do it differently, and what are the ways of achieving what our intentions are. Um, again, it sounds simple and it's not easy, but it's... Um, it lays out a path. Mm-hmm. 
And we're going to be on the planet anyway, so we may as well grow and develop. <laughs> Why not? No, seriously. Right? You know, we're, yeah, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have two more questions for you. One is a hard one, uh, just into the hard reality of what's going on in, in our recent culture and there, especially even in this past few weeks, we've lost more students to school shootings. Um, there, a lot of bad stuff is going on, and more and more we are asked by parents, like, how do we talk to our kids in an age-appropriate way about how to make sense of and deal with these scary tragedies, these scary possibilities. Uh, schools are getting shut down. My kids' schools, you know, once a year get shut down. Um, our friends at a couple towns over just yesterday, their school was shut down. Um, FBI investigation from threat. How do, you, how do you suggest we parents talk to our kids about these things? Very good question. Um, obviously, it depends. You know, it, you have to respond in an age-appropriate way. But I think it's really important to let children know that you are aware that you don't have all the answers, but that you're a safe space that you, they can always come to you to talk. That you're—I think the most ideal situation is that you're involved with their school, that you know what's going on, you're advocating on their behalf, you're working towards creating a safe space. We know that there's challenges and problems in the world but you're doing everything you can to keep them safe and them healthy. And if they ever have a concern, please come to you immediately. You know, I think there's always lesson learned. One of the blogs I wrote on psychology today was signs of a school shooter. And I think that we have to become more and more educated on, you know, what is the signs of some true emotional imbalances and then children or teens or people in general who look like they could take action on those and how do we remove them from places that could cause harm as well as uh, as an aside those common sense gun laws but you know this is right. a hard situation there's always been challenging scary fearful situations and i think it, it 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 is part of our role as parents and teachers to do everything we can to keep our kids safe and this is I, and I was involved in a highlights magazine, a survey they did last year. And th the number one thing kids are afraid of is school shootings. It's not their parents dying. It's school shootings. So, I mean, this is clearly something that's heavy on a child's heart. So I think the more they learn how to master their emotions and deal with fear and frustrations and discomfort, you know, it's the re one of the reasons I wrote this book, you know, when we have healthier children earlier on, they become healthier adults and we change the generations. So um, I feel strongly about that. Thank you for that. And uh, it is really hard. And what you're saying is we need our kids to know that we're aware uh, validate their feelings and that we are involved. We are doing whatever we can to keep them safe and actually stay in touch with them. I think a lot of times parents want to almost shield our, I mean, as much as we can shield our kids from it, but there's a fine line, with, especially with their age, where it's the unspoken elephant that needs to be talked about and grappled with. And this is some of that grittiness, tough stuff in life that we have to sit with. Especially if they're having school shooting drills. I mean, these are things that are happening at their school. So even if you don't talk about it, they're experiencing this discomfort already. So we do right. need to help them with this. Okay, it is time for the Parent Footprint Moment question. This question is, 
Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Now, you have a, a different take on this question that we've talked about that I'm really uh, interested in for our audience to hear your take on this. Sure. I mean, when I thought about footprint, I thought about, you know, the moment that I had that aha that what I do actually matters, you know what I mean? Like, or what I do is really leaving some sort of positive imprint on someone else. And, you know, I've had a lot of kids, you know, I'm thinking of one in particular that came back to me 10 years later and said, oh, that thing that you told me, which I don't even remember, but in that moment you said something and it changed the way I looked at everything. So that really was special to me because I, I do work with a lot of kids who are in person. I'm working with a lot of kids who have challenging experiences. So oftentimes I think it's just one person that needs to help and extend their hand and pull them through. And when people learn how to use every experience in their life as fodder, you know, because things can be challenging, like we mentioned, you know, then their life, they can learn how to plant positive seeds and bloom into who they were supposed to be. So when I heard that child that that made a big difference 10 years later, it really just warmed my heart. Mm-hmm. That what you do does leave an alter, the footprint alters the trajectory of people's lives. And oftentimes it's something I don't even remember saying. So I guess from my standpoint, it's that awareness that everything matters. Hmm. That is a good that is a good period on the show here. <laughs> An awareness that everything matters. So I just want to reiterate a few uh, pieces of wisdom that Maureen is reminding us of. Uh, one is this idea of mirror neurons and that in the presence of someone else, we can learn something easier, meaning we could learn how to do her steps that she recommends. Stop catch ourselves calm and make smarter choices. We need to do this and we need to teach our kids to do this. And that also this idea that happiness is made from the gritty moments and therefore we have to learn how to experience all of life and focus on wholeness, wholeness, being there for others, being there for ourselves and within their happiness, of course, will emanate. Maureen, tell people where they can continue to find your writings, your speakings, and all of the good stuff you're spreading in the world. Sure. Uh, my website is growinghappykids.com. That was the name of my first book. So growinghappykids.com. And you can find everything there, videos. You can sign up for a newsletter. You get a free sample chapter, chapter of The Emotionally Healthy Child. And that would uh, that'd be great. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your wisdom with us this morning, Maureen. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Remember, everything matters as you go about your day today. Everything matters. And uh, as we always think about at Parent Footprint, try to be the person you want your child to become. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?